Good morning. Well, in case no one has told you this yet, this morning, God loves you so much. He loves you so much. Aren't we glad that the Bible doesn't say, for God so loved the perfect that he gave his only son, or that for God so loved those who really got their poop together. Like for those, he sent his only begotten son. But he sent his son to the world, and we're included in that. He, he sent his son to you and to me, and his motivation was love. That's just awesome. So you are loved this morning. God loves you. Um, for those of you worshiping at home, um, welcome. It's great to have you with us online. And, uh, and I hope the day comes where that we can have you in the building with us and, and um, can shake hands and, and welcome you here as well. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Mark, and along with my wife, Kara, who's back with the kids, um, we have the honor of leading the team that leads this church, and it really is an honor. And so if we haven't met, I look forward to meeting you. I'll beeline to the front door after the service in the hopes that, that we can meet. Uh, in a moment here, we're going we're gonna to worship the Lord in our giving. We worship the Lord in song because we love him. And we worship the Lord with our giving and by serving and with our resources and with our influence and with our time for the exact same reasons. So if you want to give today, we've tried to make it easy. Uh, you can just take out your phone. There's a QR code in the back of the chair in front of you. You can scan it. You can give online. Um, we stopped passing the baskets about a year ago, and so we just we got stickers now. So uh, if you want to give, we... We welcome you to do so, but by no means are you obliged to do so. Let's pray. Um, Lord, you're so good. And we worship you today, and our desire is to worship you with all of our heart. And you know of any hindrance that we have that keeps us from just being all in, all in and trusting you or being loving with you or even fully believing in you. And you're so good to us, and you're so gracious. So we just ask you to just help us in the ways that we need your strength. And Lord, we worship you right now with our giving. And we don't do so out of some funky religious obligation. Lord, we do so out of love because we love you, because we trust you. And so we do so with joy. Lord, uh, thank you for the opportunity to worship you in this way and to see your faithfulness in every way. Now, Lord, uh, as we transition to the words, we're still worshiping you. And Lord, we still make our hearts available to you. We want to hear from you. In fact, if we're honest, we're, we're desperate to hear a life-changing word from you, not from a man, not from a preacher, but from you. So Holy Spirit, do that amazing thing you do, that you take a word spoken to a group or a crowd and you personalize it for each one of us, where each one of us are hearing from you. So we give you that place. Holy Spirit, we don't just uh, make room for you. We give you the room. In Jesus' name, amen. You up for a little bit of uh, Easter trivia? Are you? All right. Okay. If you know the answer, don't blurt it out. Just kind of tuck it away. Save it for later. I'll reveal the answer in the midst of the preach. 
And I do that so that nobody slips out and leaves during the preach because now there's suspense. So you can't go to the bathroom if you're watching online. You've got you to gotta hold it. And you've got to – I'm just kidding. You don't got to do that. Okay. Uh, also, there's not a prize. Yeah, I know. Sometimes you're like, oh, there's a prize, like candy bars. There's no candy bars. But you will get like a segment of my admiration, like for Bible trivia. Okay. Here's the question. Who was the first person to ever enter heaven as a result of the message of the cross? The first person to ever enter heaven as a result of the message of the cross. Like I said, it'll be revealed in the message today if you don't already know, but I imagine a lot of y'all know. Have you ever wondered why there were two crosses next to Jesus? Why not four? Why not five? Why not seven? Seven's a big number in Scripture. Seven's used a lot. It's got strong significance. Eight's a big number. It represents new beginnings. Why not eight? Why were there two other crosses other than the cross of Christ? Why was one on the left and one on the right? Why was Christ in the center? I, I like a good question. I really do. I, I Oh, why is that there? And, and I like to search and find the answer. Could it be that the other two crosses on Calvary's hill symbolize one of God's greatest gifts to us? And that's the gift of choice. The gift to choose. Two criminals hung on those other two crosses. And they were very similar. Those two criminals had a lot in common. They were both referred to as thieves or robbers. They were both convicted by the same system. They were both condemned by the same death. They were both surrounded by the same crowd. And they were both near Jesus. They're even introduced to us with the same despicable action. Matthew chapter 29, verse 38. I'm sorry, 27, verse 38 says this. And then I'm going to jump to verse 44. Then two robbers were crucified with Jesus, one on the right and one on the left. Verse 44. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled Jesus in this same way. Both of them. Both of them reviled him. Both of them mocked him and were cruel and were mean and tore Jesus down to in some way make themselves feel better. Both were despicable. Both were thieves. But one of them changed. One of them changed. One of the thieves saw a sign and believed. And it happened on the cross. It happened in the midst of them being in physical agony. Of them being in the same place of shame as Jesus was. One of them changed at that place and at that moment. I'm going to read from John chapter 19. And I'm going to read about a sign. And what's interesting is 
we're going to, if we check all three, or all four Gospels, all other three Gospels, if we check all four Gospels, we'll see that this sign is mentioned in all of them. But I love the way that John describes it. John chapter 19, verse, 20, uh, verse 17. Carrying the cross by himself, Jesus went to the place called the place of the skull. In Hebrew, it meant Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. The sign was written in Hebrew. Can we say Hebrew? Latin. Say Latin. And Greek. That's important. It was written so that many could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to to read, he said, I'm king of the Jews. And Pilate replied, I don't think so. What's written is written. This piece of wood is a powerful picture of God's devotion. It is a symbol of God's passion for his son, Jesus Christ. This wooden sign is a reminder that God will do whatever it takes to reach every one of us in the language that we will hear in the language that we need to hear the message that Christ is king. Every person who passed by or spectated on that day saw this sign. Everyone who could read at that time could read either Hebrew or Latin or Greek or several or all. Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. These were the three great languages of the ancient world. Hebrew was the language of Israel, the language of religion. Latin was the language of the Romans, the language of law and government. And Greek was the language of Greece, the language of culture. Since Jesus was a king for all people, the message should be on the lips of all people. And everyone who passed by that, that today saw the words, Jesus, King of the Jews. Now, I, I don't know Pilate's motives. I, I don't know why he wrote it, and neither do you. We can speculate. It could have been a message. It could have been a message for everyone saying, for those of you who think in any way to try and usurp the, the throne of Caesar, think again. This is what happens to those who think they are kings and are not. It could have been that. It could have been he was irritated with the religious leaders who manipulated the system to bring about their way, and it was his way of saying, you're not going to get the last word. It could have just been simple pride. It could have been that he was moved by coming face to face with the king of glory. We don't know, but what we know is that sign existed. That sign was used by God. Whatever the motives of, of Pilate's writing it or commissioning it, 
It was used by God. Jesus was declared king in all three of these great languages. Christ is king. Christ is king. The languages were different. The message the same. Christ is king. I want you to know that God will use any means of language that he has to to get a hold of us to let us know that message that Jesus is king. He'll use any situation in our life. He'll use any of the drama of our life. He'll use the positive, the negative, the good, the bad. Romans 8, in chapter, Romans 8, 28 says that God will turn all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So he'll use circumstance to speak a message of his faithfulness, of his provision, of his grace, of his love, of his tenacity for you. He'll use it all. He'll waste nothing if we'll let him. He'll waste nothing if we'll look and listen. I want to show a a video clip of of a movie, of an Easter holiday classic. The joyful character dressed in red in this movie represents God. She's deaf. You don't have to talk to her. She just wanted to see you. You are a very beautiful young lady. (laughs) That was merciful of me to stop it there. Otherwise, everyone would be crying. Okay, so it's not an Easter movie. It is a holiday movie. And it does convey the, the love of wanting to reach someone where they're at. The love of God. Whatever language or circumstance is needed to reach you, God will use it. And on the day of the torture and murder of his son, Jesus God used a sign commissioned by Pilate to save a thief. Luke chapter 23, verse 37 reads this. They called out to him, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. If I can pause right here. Just, if, you see, if you read the gospel account, everybody mocked Jesus. Nobody was exempt. It says the people mocked him. The passerby mocked him. The soldiers mocked him. The religious leaders mocked him. He was mocked. And the thieves on the cross mocked him. He was mocked by everyone. They called out to him, if you're king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, huh? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. 
But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you. And you can take the assurance of Jesus to the bank. I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Do you see the response of the thief? Moments from his own death, hanging in agony, he turns to Jesus and says, remember me in your kingdom. Odd choice of words, right? I mean, it's curious. He didn't say save me. He didn't say have mercy upon my soul. What does he speak of? A kingdom. Why? Because he saw a sign that says this is the king. And he spoke in terms of the kingdom. He responded as a servant responding to a king. Remember me in your kingdom. Friends, can I encourage you with something? And we got to live our lives with our eyes and our hearts and our ears open because God is constantly trying to speak to us. He's constantly trying to have messages that declare, I love you. I have room for you in my kingdom. I have room for you in my heart. I have room for you in my life. I love you. He is constantly saying that. We're just too busy to see it. There's too much noise for us to hear it. And we don't come to him in that place of hunger saying, I just need a word from my king. The, the challenge, the encouragement, the plea is to be less busy. To look for the ways that God is just trying to love on us. Two men. Two crosses. One thief believed Jesus. He chose belief. He chose to believe a sign. He didn't know Jesus. He chose to believe a sign. One thief believed. One thief did not. One thief believed and was saved. The other just died. One repentant thief is the answer to my Easter trivia question. As he is the very first person to ever enter heaven through the message of the cross. Can we all imagine the pearly gates for a moment? Kind of get a visual. And can we imagine the conversation between whatever angel first greeted this thief? We could hear the angel saying, Welcome! It's great to see you here. Uh... I, am I pronouncing your name right? Is Mr. Thief? Mr. Thief? Is that French? Is that? It looks like thief. How weird. Um, how and when did you come to be saved? Oh, a couple hours ago. I was being punished for something I did, something I deserved. I got caught. And I was on the verge of dying. And Jesus was next to me. And I believed in him. And here I am. Belief is an interesting thing because we can't get into heaven without it. 
I think a lot of times we talk ourselves out of belief. We, we choose not to believe. We say, uh, God can't be that big. Oh, God can't love me that much. Oh, God can't be that gracious. Oh, surely I must pay for these horrible things I've done. We talk ourselves into unbelief. Believe it. He's just that big. He's bigger than your sins. Believe it. I don't care if you're a thief hanging on a cross. His grace is enough for you. Believe it. I don't care if the circumstances of Jesus being there don't connect to you. You're like, why is he on the cross? Only bad people are on the cross. Surely he must have done something bad, but I don't know. I... We talk ourselves out of trusting God because we focus on something else. I tell you what's absolutely amazing to me is that the message of the cross was saving lost souls before Jesus even died on that cross. Before he ever was buried in a borrowed tomb, the message of the cross was saving souls. Before he emerged victorious from the tomb, alive and resurrected, the message of the cross was already saving people. And not just this thief. The message of the cross. People in attendance and spectated who were saved as a result. Soldiers. Roman soldiers. Those representing the government. Religious leaders were saved at that moment. And it said that great multiplication came about in the church because religious leaders were saved. Jewish leaders were saved. Greeks were saved. Those representing culture and society. Jesus is a God for all people. All people. Not just the good people. Not just those who got their stuff together. Not just those who were born into uh, a, a good, a good uh, Christian American family. There's a lot of things we don't get to choose. You, you didn't get to choose what city you were born. You had no say in the matter. You didn't get to choose who your siblings were. Luckily, I got one good sibling. My sister Amy, who's here. My brothers, I love you, but if you were here, I'd have said you were good. But you ain't here right now. I'm just kidding. They're good too. I, I didn't get to choose what, what color I was, what race I was. What, I didn't get to choose those things. I didn't get to choose any of those things. The perfect creator chose those things for me. If you were born to a bad family, I, I, I know that there's bad families out there. There are crummy dads out there. There are crummy moms out there. There's bad people out there. And if you were born to a bad family, I just want you to know that the redemptive work of Jesus Christ is just as mighty in your life as anyone else. He can, he can restore and strengthen, and he's got a future and a hope for you. What about the other thief? The thief on the other cross. I want you guys to know that even though he didn't believe and receive salvation that day, he was shown love that day because he was given choice. He was given choice. If you read Luke chapter 11, and I'm not going to read it, but it's interesting, there's, there's three stories that are told. The lost sheep, the lost coin, 
and the lost son. Now we know the last one, the lost son, as the the story of the the, the prodigal. The lost sheep was lost. Unfortunately, he looked around. I'm missing the sheep. He left the 99 and he went after, the shepherd went after the sheep. The lost coin was lost irresponsibly. It had value. It was in the house and it got lost. It wasn't taken care of. And the woman turned the house upside down until she found it. But this is interesting about the lost son. The father didn't go after the lost son. He gave that son choice. He said, you want your inheritance? Here it is. You want to go? Here you go. Now, the Bible describes a posture of the father that he was looking and waiting and hoping, and he still had faith for that son to return. But that father did not chase down that other lost son. He loved him enough to give him choice. And he loves us enough to give us choice. He's not a puppet master. He's not up there pulling the strings. He's not a manipulator. He shoots us straight. Jesus loves candor. He shoots us straight. He's honest with us. And he doesn't manipulate us. He doesn't try and sway our emotions or our heartstrings. He just comes with truth. And he says, you get to choose. Any unfairness in this life is offset by the honor of choosing our destiny in the next. You get to choose whether or not you believe Jesus. You get to choose whether or not you love Jesus. You get to choose whether or not you make your heart available to him and you trust him with the things that are hard and heavy. You get to choose whether or not you'll make yourself vulnerable and let him be the healer in your life. You get to choose whether or not you'll trust him when he says, let go of that addiction. I've got something better. I've got something more fulfilling. And you've got to trust him to be your deliverer, to cut the chains, to break the chains, to set you free. We have to choose. As a follower of Jesus, as a lover of Jesus, as a believer of Jesus, we still have to choose day in and day out to run to him and say, Lord, I just want to hear from you today. I just want to be touched by you today. I just want to make myself available to you today, Lord. If there's something you'd have me do, I'll do it. I'll do it with joy. You can disrupt my day. You can disrupt my schedule. You can disrupt my life because I love you. I want to conclude by reading a few more scriptures in Matthew. I'm going to read from Matthew 27 and Matthew 28. And, and I'm landing. And it should be a pretty quick landing. Matthew 27, verse 45. 45 through 46. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 50, and Jesus cried out again, with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit and behold at that exact moment behold the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split verse 54 when the centurion and those who were with him 
keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. More signs. More signs. I, I promise you, the Jews of that day and of that time, they knew exactly what it meant when that, when that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. Because they knew that they weren't allowed access to God. Only the priest was allowed access to God. They would come to the priest. They would make a blood sacrifice of an animal to pay for their sins. The priest would go on their behalf. And the minute that that was torn, they knew, does this mean I can go straight into the presence of God? Does this mean I have access to God? Does this mean I don't have to go through a middleman? I can go straight into the presence of the Father. And that's exactly what it meant. That tearing of the the curtain was a sign. The earthquake was a sign. It was a sign that the Father was not asleep through all of this. He wasn't asleep as his son was mocked and ridiculed and tortured and belittled and murdered. But it had to happen so that we could have access with the Father. And the minute it did, he shook the earth. That was a sign. Those were big signs. But not to be missed. Let's pick back up in chapter 28, the next chapter. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I love that he didn't address the soldiers. You have every right to be afraid, sucker. I love that. He he, he addressed the women. Don't be afraid. I'm watching. Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Take a look for yourself. Look around. He's not here. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. So this is important. Stay with me. I know I'm reading a chunk here. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said, don't, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. So that's the second time. Go to Galilee and there they will see me. So I'm going to go down six verses of verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That last bit of scripture 
I read, that last part that started with go. What do you know that as? Can you say it again? The Great Commission, right? Go into all the world. The Great Commission. Followers of Jesus, the Great Commission is part of the Easter message. It's part of the Easter message. It's one of the first things Jesus says when he has all of them around him, all of his disciples, all of his followers. He gives this great commission and says, I'm alive, I'm alive. There's work to be done. And you're, gonna, you're, you're part of that work. I need you. The great commission is the culmination of the Easter story. The world needs to know about the love of God. Our friends need to know about the love of God. Our neighbors need to know about the love of God. Our enemies need to know about the love of God. Friday night, we had a youth event. There were 11 teens that showed up at Andy and Kim's house and we watched The Passion of the Christ. And it was a movie. I love movies. The hero was clear in that movie. The hero is Jesus. But when you have an action movie and there's a hero, what does there have to be? Villains. Bad guys. And as I watched this, the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, there's no, there's no bad guys outside of the devil. The devil's a bad guy. In that story, the devil's a bad guy. That was outside of Satan. None of these other men are the villains. They're simply those who believe and simply those who don't believe. Do you know a lot of those Jewish leaders, they heard the same messages of Jesus that his disciples heard? They were in the temple. Jesus taught in the temple. He wasn't hiding. He did it out in the open. He taught in the temple. They were there. They heard it. They heard the same words of life. They saw the same proof of, of prophecy that Jesus represented. They chose not to believe. Can we close our eyes for a second? I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Uh, anything beyond just a response in your heart. I'm asking you to be quick to believe Jesus today, not to allow anything to talk you out of him, his life, his love. there's a situation in your life that you just that is the focus of your life because it's big and it's daunting and it's hard and it hurts I'm asking you to take your eyes off of that and to put your eyes onto Jesus to believe that he is bigger to believe that he loves you mad at you. He's not an angry guy. He loves you. I'm asking you to respond to whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is stirring within you and I couldn't possibly guess what that is because he's so personal. It's, it's, it's about you and him right now. I couldn't even begin to think what he's trying to say to you right now, but listen 
because he is trying to speak something. If there are folks that are here or that are worshiping online and you're hearing this message and you've never declared your belief in Jesus, just do that right now. Say, Jesus, I believe. I don't understand everything. I don't have all the answers. I can't quote a single scripture, but I do believe. Or maybe you can quote that Bible back and forth, but you've never let the love of God into your heart before. But this day you choose to believe. And you say, I believe, Jesus, I believe. I give my life to you. Just do that right there where you are. Honestly, it's between you and God. But you got to respond. you got to choose. And he loves you enough to give you that freedom. We can open our eyes. Thanks for taking a minute just to be still. I feel like we got to take those often. We got to take them in the midst of the day just to be still before the Lord and give Him room to just just shine His love on us, to wink at us, to speak to us. This day, see the signs. See the empty tomb. Feel the hope rising in your hearts. And choose to believe that Jesus loves you and that he is king, not just of the Jews, but king of all. I'll leave us with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have an amazing day. 